Welcome to Grace United Methodist Church Sermon Podcast. We are a group of people who are caring together and growing together. You can learn more about our church and its ministries at franklingrace.org. wasn't everybody's favorite kind of day, but on a day like Friday, when the snow was falling, temperatures dropping, and the roads were going from slush to ice, there is nothing better than staying home, being curled up on the couch with your favorite movie, or if you're my dad, it's all of the above, staying home and being curled up, but it's your favorite chair and a book, a good book. The kind of book that draws you into the story, that, that intrigue of the story, the mystery of the times and crimes. My dad likes those kinds of books. The kind of book that pulls together what did happen, what could happen, what might happen, and creates a feast for someone like my dad who devours information, appreciates history, and enjoys thought-provoking imagination. In fact, the family joke is that if you buy dad a book for Christmas or Father's Day or his birthday, you better make sure it has enough pages to last a couple of days. Or if it's one in a series, make sure it'll at least get him through till New Year's. And I admit there are years that I found myself standing in the bookstore, just kind of perusing different uh, areas, different sections of the bookstore, looking not so much at the titles, but rather for the thickest book I could find and still afford. This approach, however, would not work with the Gospel of Mark. Mark is more like the Cliff Note version. Do you remember Cliff Notes? The Gospel of Mark is more like the Cliff Note version of the life of Jesus, condensed yet packed with critical information and action, always on the go, from beginning to end, which we'll see in our passage for this morning. So unlike some of the Western and historical novels that my dad so enjoys, which contain 300, 400 pages or more, Mark uses three verses to tell us about Jesus's baptismal experience, two verses to tell us about Jesus's 40-day wilderness excursion, and a mere two more verses to encapsulate the core of Jesus's entire mission and purpose on earth. That's a total of seven verses to cover all of that. What takes the gospel writers of Matthew, Luke, and John several verses, maybe even chapters, to explain and fill in the gaps, Mark does in seven, seven verses. That leaves us, as you can imagine, with a great deal to think about that invites us, the readers and hearers of Mark's words, to lean in and explore what Mark is saying. And I would, I would say to listen for what Mark is saying without words. And so let the journey begin. Would you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit, come. Continue to make 
your presence known to us, in us, and through us. Reveal your wisdom and truth and bring to light that which we need today in this moment. Amen. As mentioned, today begins the first weekend of the season we call Lent, that 40-day period of spiritual reflection and self-examination. Historically, Lent was a time in the church to bring in new converts into the church to prepare and train and teach them the ways of Jesus, to teach them about scripture and what it meant to give oneself over to follow Jesus, to serve Jesus and to serve the church. Historically, it was also a time for those who had committed serious sins and or infractions against the church and perhaps were even kicked out of the church. It was a time for, for those folks to repent, to pay penance, and to be given the oppor opportunity to reconcile with the church and with God, to restore their membership. In more recent history, Lent was a time for followers of Jesus to enter intentional reflection, deliberate study as a way to remember who they are as a child of God, who they are as a follower of Jesus, and how they are a part of something bigger. And so, again, as mentioned, sometimes people will give up something for Lent. Sometimes people will take on something, maybe a new practice or, or a study, a time of devotion or a time of study, a time of maybe service or volunteering. But my question for you, for all of us today, is what does it mean for us today? What is Lent? What is it for you in this moment what does this journey of Lent mean for your life, for our life as a congregation? What does it mean for your understanding and relationship to Jesus? What are you looking for this year? What will you discover in the wilderness this year? What's different about you, about the church, about our world, about the situation? What's the same? And finally, how will you, how will we, walk the next 40 days with intention, with purpose? How will we take those deliberate steps of the head and the heart? If you were able to attend the Ash Wednesday service a few days ago, you remember the invitation to take only what you needed for the Lenten journey. And I shared a story of when I went on a 30-day backpacking trip just out of high school and I had to carry everything on my back. And it was a beautiful 67 pounds that I got to carry on my back for 30 days. And I invited you to think about what you would take to just take only what you need, to dump out the pack and just take only what you would need to get you through that would see you through. And, and I talked about how by stripping away all the extra stuff, all the distractions, all the baggage, and, and to let go of that which keeps us from fully following Jesus, that by doing so, we would be able to more intentionally explore and experience this wilderness journey. And in fact, be able to experience and explore this idea of God's depths of love. And so I remind you now and perhaps invite some of you who weren't able to be there on Ash Wednesday 
I, in, I invite you to take only four things. First, take only the desire to realign yourselves with the truth that God is God and we are not. Amen? Realign yourself with that truth. Second, take discipline to refocus yourself in relationship to God. And then to realize how that focus impacts your relationship with others. When you realign, when you refocus yourself to God, how does that impact your relationship with others? Number three, take the determination to repent, not with shame, not out of blame and guilt, thinking that we are just worthless, what's the word, wretched, that we are worthless, wretched worms crawling along the earth. To repent not with that kind of attitude, but to repent with honesty and hope that it's actually a good thing because we know that God's grace empowers us to keep on keeping on. So it is not out of, of guilt and, and judgment and punishment and, and to make us feel horrible and worthless, but rather it is out of love. It is out of hope. It is out of goodness. It is out of love, not fear that we walk this journey. So take desire, discipline, determination, and finally, take delight in knowing the treasure we seek in this journey is not the end product. It's the treasure is not some payment, final payment for our works or some tangible reward, but rather our treasure is the act itself. Our treasure is the act of following Jesus. We get to follow Jesus. We get to walk this journey together, and that is the treasure. And so with those four things packed and ready to go, I invite you to hear these words from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 9 through 15. And I'm reading from Eugene Peterson's The Message. At this time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John he doesn't even tell us John the Baptist. He just says John was baptized by John in the Jordan. The moment he came out of the water, he saw the sky split open and God's spirit looking like a dove come down on him. Along with the spirit, a voice, you are my son, chosen and marked by my love, pride of my life. At once, the same spirit pushed Jesus out into the wild. For 40 wilderness days and nights, he was tested by Satan. Wild animals were his companions, and angels took care of him. After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee, preaching the message of God. And the message was, time's up. God's kingdom is here. Change your life and believe in the message. Other translations say, repent and believe. Church, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. By giving us this pared down version, this kind of stripped down, straightforward version of Jesus's baptism, the wilderness experience, and the purpose of Jesus's life being the one who has come near, Mark gives us room to wade into these waters found between the lines of his text and see how deep God's love truly is. 
Mark allows us to wade in and to think about how far back God's love goes and how far-reaching it is. By telling us only what we need to know, Mark creates space to kind of splash around in the water, if you will, in the waters of what isn't said but implied, which allows us then to both remember and discover how deep God's great love is. What I mean by that, church, is that when we listen to what isn't there, we are forced to jump in the deep end, in the deep end of the God story, and remember Israel's history, the people of God, which is really our story as well. One author noted, Mark moves quickly, yet he fills these verses with momentous echoes from Israel's past. In other words, when we read this section of Mark, we are to remember the history of God's people. But not just God's people, we are to remember God's presence, God's movement among God's people throughout the Old Testament. How many times have you heard a story or shared a story and you just kind of give the, the cliff note version, you just kind of give the facts, and then the person is left to kind of fill in the blanks? Or you give a story, a family story perhaps, and, and everybody knows that you just kind of give the bullet points, but everybody who's heard the story knows there's a whole lot more to that story. And that's kind of what Mark is doing here. So, for example, when we hear Mark's words, we are to hear and or listen for echoes of the Old Testament by asking questions like, is that Jesus with the wild animals out there, the beasts in the wilderness? Was that Jesus with the wild animals? Or are we to remember Adam and Eve naming, naming the beasts, naming the animals in the garden before the fall? Is that Jesus in the desert for 40 days or was it, oh gosh, what was his name? That was in the desert for like 40 years, rhymes with roses, starts with an M. Who was that? Moses. Yeah, the answer's up there too, but, right? So was it Jesus or are we to think about Moses' story and the people of God? Is that God's voice coming from heaven or the voice of the prophet Isaiah, beholding the servant in whom God's soul delights? Is that John the Baptist being arrested or is that a foreshadow of an arrest yet to come? Perhaps when Jesus, like John, will be arrested and silenced by Rome. One commentator suggests that by asking such questions and connecting this passage with the history of God's movement among God's people, we realize that Mark is showing us how Jesus, the Messiah, the promised one, the one the prophet spoke of, is retracing the steps of Israel's history in order to rewrite her story. Jesus is retracing her steps to rewrite the story. And as I read that, I, I sat back and I began to wonder if it is less about rewriting her story 
and more about reclaiming or restoring the story. Because isn't that what Jesus does for us? Reclaims our story, restores our story. Whereas Israel in the wilderness, the people of God in the Old Testament, when they wandered around in the wilderness, they stumbled and they wandered for 40 years in sin and rebellion and distrust. They, they, they were thankful to be there, then they hated being there. They wanted to be there, then they didn't want to be there. They trusted God and then they didn't trust God. They trusted Moses and then they didn't. They loved him and liked him and then they hated him. Then they wanted to just go back into slavery and it was this 40 years. And that wasn't the only time, but that example. So whereas Israel in the wilderness stumbled in sin and rebellion and distrust, Jesus withstood Satan's tests in the wilderness for 40 days, echoing that 40-year story, thus showing his followers the great depths of love found both in God and in Jesus, the depths of love found then and now. In this passage and by his actions, we are told how redemption, restoration, and reconciliation came near in and through the life of Jesus. In fact, how love came near and remains near through it all. And then I realized I could just look in the mirror and think, well, I'm not all that different, am I? And perhaps if I held up a big mirror in front this morning, are we, are we that different than the people of God then? Than our brothers and sisters of long ago? I mean, we tend to forget, don't we? We tend to forget the times and places that God came near when everything fell into place, when things were going well, when, when God's presence was so close that we could just feel it. We could just almost touch it. We encounter our own wilderness experiences in our lives, and not always, but often what do we do during those times? We, we tend to throw up our hands. We tend to seek blame and point fingers. Well, who did this to me? Or we think, what did I do wrong? Why am I being punished? What happened? And not always, but often we walk in fear rather than faith. The world helps us out with that, doesn't it? We allow guilt sometimes to be our guide, our wilderness guide, and our desire for control to be our motivation rather than to be motivated by grace or humility or compassion. I wonder, church, have we forgotten that just almost seven, seven weeks ago, do you remember what was happening about seven weeks ago, what we were doing? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear. Happy birthday to you. Right? Just almost seven weeks ago, we were singing happy birthday to Jesus. We were remembering, we were remembering that God came near. We were celebrating Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
In Jesus, God came near. And now the infant that we found lying in a manger calls us to follow him to and through the wild places of this thing called life. And to do so with faith. To trust that in him, in Jesus, in Christ, that a way through has come near. That in him, hope has come near. That by his example, a revolution has come near. That by his sacrifice, eternity has come near. In him, church, good news has come near. And what is that good news for us today? What is the good news for us sitting in this room, those of us online, those of us who follow Jesus, those of us who call ourselves a part of the church, those of us who call ourselves a part of the United Methodist Church? What is the good news? That good news for us is knowing that in the spite of political, global political tensions, that in the midst of another shooting over a football game, and that in the face of election uncertainty and ongoing division and injustice and inequality, and in the middle of our self-created messes of this world, because if we're honest, church, we're just really good at making messes. That doesn't make us horrible, bad people. It makes us human. It makes us reliant on God, or it should. But in the midst of all of that, in the middle of our messes of this world, of our world, the good news is the time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God has come near. Whew, somebody say Amen. The kingdom of God has come near. Then, now, and forever. The one promise, the one hope, the one thing that we must cling to, church, is that truth. And I don't mean just you. I'm talking to myself as well. We cling to that truth that God in Jesus has come near. That is the message of Lent. That is the message as we step into these 40 days. Because it's going to happen. The wilderness will come. As we step into our wilderness experiences, we hold on to that truth. That God in Jesus has come near. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. And what we do with it, how we respond to it, when and where we act upon it, how we pursue it and live it out, that's up to us. That's up to you. That's up to me. That's up to the church. We have to walk the wilderness. We have to jump into the deep end. When we do, there we find the depths of God's love, the depths of God's incredible, unending, undeniable love. Amen.